out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Welcome to another edition of the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. It is an overcast day here on Austin, Texas. Uh, we have a front-loaded show today with all the stuff that didn't get covered because Donald Trump was arraigned this week. So what did you miss? Let's go ahead and invite the people. Let's see here. I have my uh, co-host with me, Gregor. So we're going to invite all the people. Okay. Everybody knows we're here. So we're moving ahead. Uh, let me begin with just airing this piece with, with Julio Rosas. Are you with us, Gregor? So I guess we'll wait for him again. Are you ready to rumble? Oh, yeah! We've got some sound effects there. That's great. Fantastic! Okay, so I'm just going to pot up your mic here. And uh, we've got a bit here from Julio Rosas, who went on Epoch Times and, and gave a really great, insightful interview. It just so happens we lost about 40,000 children in our immigration system, and the news... Came out this week. So um, I think 40,000 kids is a lot. So that was widely underreported. So I'm just going to lead with that. We're going to do about 15 minutes of this interview. And then hopefully um, uh, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just resume. Okay? So this is Julio Rosas on uh, American Thought Leaders with Yanya Kellek. So without further ado. No idea where they are. We don't know who they're... HHS has lost track of around 40,000 kids. Right? Think about that. We have no idea where they are. We don't know who they're with. We don't know what they're doing. Today I sit down with Julio Rosas, a senior writer for Town Hall and a U.S. Marine at the Reserves. Since 2020, he's been traveling to the middle of the action to report on chaotic and often dangerous situations. These are big stories, and we can't rely, unfortunately, on the rest of the media to accurately relay tell the story. We discuss his book, Fiery but Mostly Peaceful, the 2020 riots and the gaslighting of America. There's so many parallels between the border crisis and the, and the crime crisis, because just like with the cartels, the criminal elements are more emboldened than ever. This is America Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelly. Julio Rosas, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I have to call you a genuine field reporter. Right. Whenever I see your work, you've gone somewhere right into the middle of the action and you're reporting from there. So I guess to start, tell me, like, what is it that, that drives you to do that? What is your kind of operating principle here? So one of the reasons why I do it is because I, I see field reporting as one of the purest forms of being actual to do actual journalism. And one of my heroes is, is Ernie Pyle, uh, who was a combat correspondent during World War II. And he was, I mean, he was super famous uh, back, back then. I mean, the, the joke was that you would have rather get a feature by him uh, in the newspaper than get a medal. I mean, that's how, that's how cherished his work was, that's how important his work was, because it wasn't just about the combat, it was about the actual person, about the, the American GI that was actually fighting. And so, yeah, I see his work, and the work that's being done today, largely, and it's just, it's so completely different. Uh, and so when it comes to chaotic situations, um, 
stories that are uncomfortable to or inconvenient to get to or to report on, you know, people get lazy. Uh, mainstream media gets lazy, and uh, generally, and and so for me, I like that town hall allows me to get to the heart of it, to 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 actually see what's going on for myself, so that I can have a better idea of how to relay it back to our audience. It doesn't matter if it's a, you know whether it's riots back in 2020 or what's happening now at the border. Um, these are big stories, and we can't rely, unfortunately, we can't rely on the rest of the media to accurately relay the importance of it or, or, or tell the story, and so then, therefore, uh, it's going to have to be conservative media to, 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 to pick up the slack. So, you know, I can't help but notice that you, you were a Marine, looking at your lapel pin here. So how does that figure into, I mean, maybe, I, I was thinking about it, too, as you were describing this hero the hero of, of yours, the, the military reporter, the embedded military reporter. But um, how does that figure into your, your philosophy here? Uh, is embrace the suck. I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I, the, uh, some of the work that, I, that I've done has been tough, uh, taxing mentally, physically. But it, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, one thing that, we, that we're always told, uh, especially like during boot camp or whatever, they, they, they always say, well, someone has it worse than you right now. And, and I think, you know, today you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, and so, I mean, that's especially true, uh, you know, just going to the border. I mean, there, there are, you know, sometimes you do five, six drives back to back, wake up early, go to bed really late, just because there's different things happening at different times. And so uh, you, 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 can't, you can't slack off. You, you got to actually put in the work or else, then, or else then you're wasting a trip. You're there. Do the work. You can rest later. Being a Marine definitely, I think, made me well, maybe want to do the more crazy things because uh, obviously you have to be kind of crazy in order to join the Marines in the first place. So want to willingly go through something like that. Well, you went down to the border just recently, and you were actually reporting on something a little less chaotic this time, which were this, I, I think, the first House Judiciary hearings at Yuma at the border. So tell me about that. So this is like kind of like a, actually a bit of a different play for you, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, and it's because we've had Democrats who obviously weren't going to do something like that. And, and so, yeah, the House Judiciary Committee had their first field hearing in Yuma, Arizona. Uh, it's a place I've been to many times. Uh, it's, it's a community that's been heavily impacted by the influx of illegal immigration. Uh, and none of the Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee showed up. It was only Republicans. Uh, the Democrats said, well, they didn't consult us on the trip, which is a lie. They, they, the GOP side was telling them about it for over three weeks. They didn't want to see the reality of what was happening. But one of the things that really stuck out to me was that the hearing was held at the Yuma City Hall Council Chamber. And it was open to the public. They reached capacity from the local community because that's how obviously invested they are. One of the things that I've always heard time and again from, from Texas to, to, to Arizona is that the locals feel abandoned by the federal government. And they're, they're, and they're accurate. That's true. Right, to, to a certain extent. They, they've been abandoned by the, federal, uh, by the executive branch. And so to them, to have pretty prominent figures like Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, Dan Bishop come to their town and talk to them about this issue that they've been raising alarm about for over you know a year and a half now. I mean that means a lot to them. That that uh, you know it's 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 a small gesture to say you know 
we understand, or you know, we're here. We want to help you fix this problem, and we're gonna try to, you know, we're gonna do our best, and we're gonna come to you to to try to solve this problem. And you know, I talked to a few of the residents, and they were they were very happy to to have Congress because I understand that people can be cynical about congressional hearings because like yeah, in the past we've had hearings, and you know, they make a big scene. And then nothing's done about it afterwards. That might happen. I'm well, not, so, so this is this is my next question, right? Because so it seems like the people appreciate it, but you know, Congress doesn't have a hugely good reputation of action at the moment. Certainly in the mind of the populace. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, on my panel today with uh, the Homeland Security Committee um, uh, Chairman Mark, Mark Green from Tennessee. He was saying that he, uh, they, they got the most conservative uh, border security bill that it's ready for markup by the end of March and they'll put it on the floor by April. So there is going to be follow through. I, I, think, I think the Republican Party really understands that they can't waste this moment. They can't waste the small amount of goodwill that they got from the midterms. And so they're going to actually make an effort to, to solve the problem. What I will say is, unfortunately, uh, because obviously of how the Senate the Senate elections were decided, but also even if it was, you know, let's say, slim majority of Republicans, the issue didn't stem, the you know, work didn't stem from the legislative branch, it, it stemmed from the executive branch. So I don't think anything's going to be solved until there's a change to the White House, but then at the same time, we can't just, well, we're going to wait until 2024, because what if 2024 doesn't go Republicans away? Well, then things are going to continue. So um, it, it, it's, it's a tough it's a tough topic. It's a tough challenge. We'll see what happens. Um, but I, I can just tell you that the locals really appreciate politicians getting out of D.C. and seeing the problem firsthand. Well, but there were some powerful testimonials which were given. Maybe tell me about some of those that you witnessed. Yeah. So the, the Yuma County Sheriff, uh, he, was, he told them that, hey, we've always had problems with cartels, but it's gotten worse than it's ever been. In our in our county history, the the president of the local hospital, the only major hospital for many for many miles around, they're out twenty six million dollars because of medical care that they've had to provide to illegal immigrants, but they're they, they're not paying them back, the the migrants, and so they're losing out on all this money, and because they prioritize care on who needs to see it the most. A lot of times, illegal immigrants get get the priority, and so that has caused a lot of frustration, understandably, with the local community. And the hospital system is only designed to accommodate a population size of around 140,000 between Yuma, San Luis, and, and Gadsden. Over 300,000 people illegally crossing into Yuma since 20, since late 2021. I mean, so three times, you know, almost three times the number of people, and a lot of those people needed significant medical care. So we're, and we're not even talking about broken bones and bumps and bruises and you know some dehydration cases. We're talking about people who need heart surgery. We're talking about mothers delivering, taking up space in the maternity ward, and then their babies need to be in the NICU because they didn't have pre-needle pre, uh, care during their pregnancies because obviously a lot of the places where they're coming from, that, that doesn't, there's just no opportunity to. You know, and that's the thing. We're, we're a compassionate nation, as we, and as we should be. But we also shouldn't forget the fact that it's also negatively affecting the taxpayers, the, the people who are actually are American citizens. And we need to also make sure that we're not leaving American citizens behind either. So it's, it's a balance, right? Uh, but they've had to contend with that 
while you know the the Biden administration just says, eh, it's not a big, it's not a big deal. Hey everyone, I've got a special announcement. We're launching a Sunday Watch Party series. Many of you have told us that you want to share some of our best episodes with your friends and family so they can be more informed about what's going on. So every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, we'll be re-premiering some of our best American Thought Leaders episodes for subscribers and non-subscribers alike. It's free to everybody. And if you have a suggestion for the next American Thought Leaders episode that you'd like to see for our Sunday Watch Party, tag us on Twitter at hashtag ATL Sunday Watch Party. Again, that's hashtag ATL Sunday Watch Party or email us at ATL at epochtimes.com. I look forward to seeing kids are now basically doing child labor as a matter of course. And the, it's a kind of a scathing indictment of what's happened at the border. It was, you know, fascinating to read this piece because let's just say, as you know, there haven't been many yeah. on this topic or anything related, remotely related, uh, uh, criticizing the administration's border policy. So what do you make of that? I, I just think it became a too big of a problem for even the mainstream media to ignore. I mean, it, it's it's insane that Secretary Mayorkas in 2000, 2001, he, he said, and I believe it was from the White House, from the White House podium, he said, 2021, he, he, he said, he said, any child that comes by themselves to the southern border, we're not going to turn away. Well, what do you think happened after he said that? Parents willingly separated themselves from their kids to send them on a very dangerous journey, if they made it to the southern border, then they continue to get exploited after they get released because HHS and DHS, they're not doing the full background checks. They're not no. checking up on them. Uh, uh, Tom Homan, former uh, ICE director or the Trump administration, was on a panel today. He said that HHS has lost track of like around 40,000 kids. What do you think about that? They, we have no idea where they are. We don't know who they're with. We don't know what they're doing. And so, yeah, some of them have ended up in pretty uh, dangerous jobs, you know, working in meat processing plants, working in packaging facilities. And honestly, and as bad as it sounds, those are the lucky ones because the alternative is sex, sex slavery. And that's why I get, you know, I get so fired up about the issue because this, it didn't need to be this way. No. I mean, of course, if you say we're not going to turn away unaccompanied minors, yeah, they're going to send them. By themselves. I've, I've seen kids as young as seven, six, by themselves, crossing the border, without their parents, going who knows where, to who, know, to, to who knows who. And, and it's just the gall that the Biden administration has to say that this is a more humane approach to the, to the border, to immigration. It's a complete lie. It's, it, it is not humane in the slightest. And it, it's, 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 it's avoidable, but they're like, nope. We're going to do it this way. What are the options, right? And sort of, I guess, I mean, I feel like this article kind of intimates that the state should be taking care of all these kids. That's another curious, curious thing. And it's because, again, like, they, they, they think that their way and their approach to trying to help the less fortunate is, is the better way. And, I, again, I have to go back to with how the ripple effects that this will continue to have for years. I mean, even if even if they were to completely reverse the border policies that they've been pursuing now, you know, starting today, it's still gonna it's still gonna be the 
the secondary and third effects, they're going to be with us for a very long time. We're going to be another, basically another DACA. They, another DACA fight, because we already have the Dreamers from the first go-around back during the Obama administration. There's been so many kids who have been born during this new surge, so now they're gonna be another, there's going to be another fight about what about these, you know, this next generation of Dreamers and all this other stuff. And I, it's just, it's so self-inflicted. That, that, that's why reporting on it is important, because you, I've been covering the board since 2019, and things were radically different moving forward about this issue. It's a matter of what are, what's what's the political will, right? And obviously that 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 changes easily as the wind. And and so. Okay, so we're gonna end it there. I just wanted to indicate that forty thousand children that have been processed in our country through HHS. Because of the open border policies since Biden took office, have been lost. They're gone. Nobody knows where they are. 40,000 children. 40,000. And they're doing child labor in our country. They're in sex slavery. And they may be actually processed as organ donors and voluntary organ donors themselves. So whatever is going on with these children, we can't protect them. So we need to repatriate them to their to their original countries. We need to get these children home. This is unacceptable and and that's that's where I'm going to leave it. You know, if you have comments, please add them in the chat section. I'm going to move on to the next thing. Or wait, I'm going to take Blotty because I know he's going to talk about it. Hello everyone. Are you actually new with Blotty? I knew it. I knew it. I just know you. I, I know your vibe. I know you're going to talk about it. Yeah, well, it, it breaks my heart, but this has been going on for far too long. Uh, I know Trump tried to do something about it, but Obama, he just blew up in the doors. And Biden, Obama part three, you know, the third term for, for Obama, he's allowing this shit. You know that somebody's banking. Somebody's making money with these children. I don't believe this nonsense that 40,000 were lost. Really? You don't know in whose hands? I know for a while they were giving the children even to other illegal aliens who were picking them up. Whether, I'm going to say some that were their actual mothers and dads, you know, the ones that were legit. So why can't they do the same with the ones who... Who's picking up these children? That's what I'm yeah, saying, buddy. They're, they're, they're facilitating the cartels. They're facilitating, yeah. there is a, a counter-legal uh, lawfare in, I mean, they've got lawyers, they've got the abogados, they've got people in place in the NGO infrastructure so that they can get their child slavery, so that they can get their child sex slavery and their organs and all the other dark market things that they've got going because there's a suppression of law enforcement in the city's where there is the tenting for, for um, what is it? The sanctuary cities. So they go to these sanctuary yeah. cities and then these children just disappear. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's completely outrageous. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I want to talk to you about, you know, the other effects of suppressing the law enforcement, you know, by, right. by conceding to these, these, you know, laundered cartel interests. And I say it's a, it's a global... Uh, conglomerate because it's got to be China and it's got to be Mexico. 
Because th- those are the two interests in the cartels that are operating currently in the United States, both the northern border and the southern border. I read an entire book on this network uh, called Willful Blindness about what they're doing out of Vancouver that is impacting all the U.S. states, but definitely the ones where there are sanctuary cities. So, I, you know, I'm going to still refer to it. Uh, the, the, the Chinese know about it. You know, they're using casino laundries in Macau. And in and throughout throughout the West, so uh, so when they they have these these NGOs and these lawyer firms to to suppress law enforcement, and they say, oh, make a run for it in El Paso, because you know, they, and they give them false information. They're like, here, just go, and uh, because they need an injection of cash or something. Um, the, the problem is the cartels, I hear immigration, immigration, wah, 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 immigration, immigration, illegal immigration, cartels. What's her name? Who came down to the border? What's, what's her name? The, the, the former U.S. State Department person? Haley. Nikki, Nikki Haley. Spent all day talking about illegal, illegal immigration, standing in her mom teeth in front of, in a ponytail in front of the fence. Didn't mention the cartels once. Well, I, I think that's not good enough. It's not good no, I, enough. I know, but they, 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 they can talk about all this problem and not do a damn thing about it. And she might even use it right now that she, she's running as a presidential candidate for the Republican Party, which she doesn't stand to win, right? Not even, doesn't even have hope. I don't even know why she's wasting time. But the whole thing is, you know, let her run, whatever. But the whole, don't use all these talking points. But they didn't do nothing. But while she was in power, she didn't do nothing. Well, yeah, that's a do-nothing talking point. Right? Talk about illegal exactly. immigration. Wah, wah, wah. Immigration, immigration. Never mention the cartels. That means they're not going to do shit. Sorry. Sorry. I just, I, I just, hold on. Last one, please. Go ahead. Uh, what, what about the one at Katie Hobbs that they found out things with her and the cartel? How did oh? that go? Uh, huh? So why don't you say something about that? Okay, well, not long ago, maybe about a month ago, uh, it was discussed shortly right after she won. Uh, illegally, we all know it was uh, rigged, uh, beating, beating uh, the other, the Republican candidate, uh, Katie Lake, and so they discovered that she, in, in, in her tenure, as I think it was, she was State Secretary, if I'm right? Uh, Secretary of State. to do with money, money laundering that was coming her way from the cartel from Mexico, so in order to do favors. The question is, that is criminal act right there. That's corruption. Why did, why, did, why did exactly? Why did it just fly under the radar? If you have a link to the no, source, we would love it. to see it. I I know that I read something about it. Oh, no, definitely. Let me let me work on it. Take it away. Okay. Thank thank you, bloody. We're gonna move on to the next thing. So one of the the other problems with suppressing our law enforcement and using NGOs to to launder the influences of of the criminal cartels is it looks like. You know, the left and the communist left are saying, you know, let's do a Bolshevik jailbreak. And then Soros funds exactly that. A Bolshevik jailbreak. So criminals are left to run rampant through the street, terrorize the normies and the normal public. And then if you try to defend yourself, that becomes crime. Now, we've seen that exemplified in New York. This has come to Texas, and I don't think... I'm sorry I'm getting that pitch, but you know what? I'm not dealing with this. I moved from Washington State, so I didn't have to deal with this. So we're going to listen to Tucker. You're going to listen to Tucker. 
outbreak of armed extremism, which is, of course was the BLM riots of 2020, and former Army sergeant called Daniel, P Daniel Perry was driving for Uber in Austin, Texas. He was an Uber driver. He's in his car, and a mob of rioters surround him in the middle of the street and begin hitting his car. One member of the mob was a man called Garrett Foster. Foster was a militant with a history of waving his rifle at people. He approached Perry's driver's side window with an AK-47. Then he raised the rifle, and when he did that, Perry shot and killed him in self-defense. The lead detective in the case and the Austin police concluded it was a justified shooting. If that's not a justified shooting, there's no such thing. But because Austin, Texas, the justice system was overseen by a Soros-funded DA, Perry was charged with murder for defending himself. And tonight, we are sad to tell you, this man, a military veteran driving an Uber car, was convicted of murder. And what does that mean? It means that in the state of Texas, if you have the wrong politics, you're not allowed to defend yourself. So this is a legal atrocity. It's so obviously unjust that tonight we extended an invitation to the sitting governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, to come on this show on Monday. And we wanted to ask if he was considering a pardon for Daniel Perry. But for some reason, Governor Greg Abbott's office told us he just can't make it and that we should talk to the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, instead. So that is Greg Abbott's position. There is no right of self-defense in Texas. We're going to keep trying to reach the governor of Texas, get his views on that, and the Attorney General for that matter. You know, I, I, I appreciate Tucker bugging the governor about this one, but, but Governor Abbott is right. And Ken Paxson is is a great, proficient public servant, and I think he's done a, a lot. He's done a great deal of, of good justice law in this state, and I think he should definitely intervene. Now, whether his office is at liberty to speak on this matter, I think they should take it up on appeal, because this is, this is not how Texas usually does things. And, um, so we're, we're going to watch this case. I don't, I don't think Austin is, um, Austin is improving their law enforcement. They, they recruited DPS to come in and, uh, to support, uh, the local law enforcement. So they're, they're drawing in, uh, state DPS, um, till Kirk Watson gets enough backing <laughs> to right the wrongs. Because Kurt Watson is normal, but he's under extreme duress to conform to a lot of ESG and a lot of other environmental DEI and all the, all the like. But he, he is slowly turning the ship around to where you could be a moderate Democrat in the state of Texas and have a normal life. People are moving here so that they can have a normal life. And um, so I'm just going to leave it there. So that, that's as loaded as I hope it will get. I need to move on to the next uh, next block of text. And, and you know what? I think we're going to go a little long, so if you if you guys don't mind. So I just want you to know that... No, the, no, 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 no. You need to stop right here. Right. Why? I'm going to make you stop right here. Why? <laughs> because this is a big deal. Okay. Um, as, as you pointed out, you know, you're hopefully the state attorney general in Texas who is... Has my respect as well, even though I'm in Oregon. Um, and let's hope this gets resolved properly. You know, Flyover Man made a snide remark about um, 
the sec- what does the Second Amendment protect? And he said, well, can you shoot a cop if they brandish? Based on case law, the answer is yes, by the way, based on Supreme Court findings, if an officer who has not identified themselves and is not putting you personally under arrest points a gun at you and you don't know they're an officer, you're allowed to defend yourself. The most recent case where this was decided was the Brianna um, Breonna Taylor shooting in Missouri. Brianna Taylor shooting where her boyfriend was acquitted of all charges because the cops did not, according to evidence, did not identify themselves properly. Um, So, you know, law can be applied equally. However, we are talking about first degree premeditated murder of a man who showed up, walked up to walked up to a car wearing uh, combat gear, carrying a rifle, not a uh, assault rifle, but carrying a rifle and pointing it at the passenger of a car who was just literally driving by. Under no circumstances on the planet should a jury have been instructed in such a way that they could have concluded that this would have been first-degree murder. And therein lies a problem right there. The judge made this happen by hemming in the jury and say, you have to decide this way, you have to decide this way, you have to decide this way. Here are the rules that I'm putting on you. And there was no juror to stand up and say, it would have taken one juror to stand up and say, no. Right, and and this DA, the the prosecutor is uh, DA Garza, and, you know, while I thought he was more moderate, he's just as left to center uh, in, in the communist cartel pocket as they get. So, unfortunately, that's my indictment of him and his version of public service in this state. And uh, he sends people who descend, who defend themselves to jail. That's not going to stand. So, um, you know, because we've, we've seen some things this week. Uh, people, people are, you know, Biden is saying things like on Twitter, we need to ban assault weapons. And I'm like, okay, Biden, well, I think that you should uh, stop state-sponsored gender-based terrorism. So th- there's two things going on there, and one is being ignored. You know, this week we've seen a lot. You know, Gregor, I just want to kind of use this as a speed bump. I know that there's been a lot of uh, news this week on on transgender issues, but there was a kid in North Carolina. The manifesto was communist, and you say I don't know. I forgot the cue. Okay, well, uh, there was a there was a kid in North Carolina. Yeah, the, the North the North Carolina um, or the Tennessee shooter. We don't know their manifesto. But the Colorado shooter arrested was communist. Okay. And, you know, the last, you know, and we have, again, we have, everyone talks about how far right all the shooters are. But if you look at the shooters, none of them ever were. They're all either fascist or they're communist. So they're never, never to the right. Fascism is to the right. No, fascism is socialism is to the left. Get over it. And um, so the commun- the manifesto was communist. And the kid had issues. I'm talking garbage piled as high as his bed. Brown sheets that weren't brown. They were white, but they were brown. So there's, 
you know, if you mess with your hormonal chemistry, bad things can happen to you. You know, there's not a universal consent on on transgenderism with our youth. We didn't have a 4,000% spike of transgender youth like 10 years ago. This is a brand new thing. And I, I, there's never been this in American history. There's never been this in human history. Because the medical industry didn't find a way to, to crank it up. And, and part of it, you know, you wonder why it never happened in history. Is because, and don't say there's not technology. Um, I didn't. A <laughs> uh, little, little history note. Um, you know, some of the uh, worshippers of Baal were known to have been um, surgically altered for men to resemble women. I mean, that has been going on for thousands of years. However, it's a, it is a dead end. It is a social and um, genetic dead end. By doing this, we're destroying ourselves, and therefore it has to stop. It always stops. It just comes back again and again. And, you know, you can co- talk about the deep spiritual reasons for this or whatever, but the fact of the matter is when you eliminate the concept of reality and say whatever you feel is the truth, you end up with this type of... Um, you know, oddities and behavior. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, and it's just a matter of fact that if you, you know, check out the realities, this young um, person who was, uh, this 28 year old in Tennessee, you know, was in the process of transitioning and, and having all kinds of things. How, if a person has a dysmorphic thought of their body and thinks they need to cut off their legs, what happens? Do we cut off their legs? No, we don't. We send them to help. And if a person who has a Y chromosome or two X chromosomes and no Y chromosomes asks for help, we pump them full of drugs and we say everything you, everything you believe is absolutely correct, even though based on actual facts, it's not. I, I think there's a lot of tricks uh, being manifest in, in the ecosystem right now. And one of the things that they're doing, I think, is, is making enemies that aren't there. They're trying to otherize the children. You know, there there is no enmity that we inherently have towards our our, our smallest generation or our, or our youngest generation. There is no inherent enmity, but there is an enmity amongst in preventing uh, harm or damage to children if if the parent tries to step in. Which is this is the most unusual thing I've ever seen. And I've only seen it since COVID really kind of flower out to where, you know, parents are being called terrorists for trying to, to, to stop things like, you know, the rape of their child during, during a typical school day. You know, and I, it's, it's really kind of beyond the pale. It makes you want to go live in the woods and homeschool your kids, which, you know, people used to make fun of. They're like, ah, oh, ha, ha, you homeschooled your children. And like, if you don't do that now... Your kid's going to be in grave harm's way. That's what I'm beginning to think. So. And, and brought, I think you're almost right in the fact that, you know, we see it after COVID, but I think the only reason we saw it after COVID is because kids were being schooled from home via Zoom. And all of a sudden they saw these things, parents saw these things that were going on in school. So it start, I think it started before COVID. It started in schools, you know, six, seven Five years ago, some you know, 
2015, 2014, maybe, was the one that really picked up. I know in 2010, 2012, we threw up this stuff. The big deal was whether or not, you know, somebody who was of uh, homosexuals could get a legal contract to be married. And they wanted the same rights. Yeah, that seemed like a big deal at the time. And, and uh, you know, which my opinion of homosexual is irrelevant. If you want to make a contract between you and another person and live together and have inheritance, I'm okay with it. I don't care. It's none of my business. But here we're talking about the destruction of children. Um, there's this uh, Jazz Jennings has a TV show, and she's you know uh, he she it um, in the middle of a transition. And I was watching an interview. They were talking about mo- the mother, and they were talking to Jazz, and the mother was talking about literally raping Jazz because Jazz was not taking care of his uh, his surgeries. He had had a uh, artificial wound put in, and he wasn't doing the exercises and things, which included inserting some sort of device to keep the canal open. And mother was threatening, literally, of going in at night and raping him with it. Okay, um, how old was this child? Be, uh, now, 16 or 17. Before? Started, yeah, started, started, started the transition around 12 or 13. Okay, so this child had his, his genitals removed. He was a male. He had his genitals removed, and it was replaced with... I guess I guess he had a vaginal plasty. Is that what happened? Well, what they do is they they use the uh, penal flesh and some extra and some extra uh, stomach lining to make a vaginal tract. Yes. Okay, that that's a vaginal plasty, and they did this on a twelve year old child. I I think it was only like a year or two ago, so at the time it was probably fourteen or fifteen. But yeah, yes. that's that's a minor yeah. child. That's still a minor child. But right. prior to age of consent, prior to adulthood. So, yeah. so this child is, is forever altered. And the mother of this child was trying to take control of the organ maintenance. Because you have to use a prosthetic, uh, for lack of a better term, dildo. Uh, you have to use a prosthetic dildo to keep the... Um, vaginal plasty opening open. That's what you have to do. And right. for a right. mother to force the issue upon her minor child is is a horror show. That is a horror show. If you wouldn't if you couldn't conceive of a mother doing that to a cis female normal, you know, Female child, if you could not conceive of that because it is sex abuse, then you have to think, okay, there's a few other layers here. So, um, it says, did you spend this too much time talking about child abuse when it wasn't queer? I don't think it matters. I think it's obvious. You know, and it, if it wasn't before, it should be now. And I did talk about child abuse. I've been talking about child abuse of these children coming over the border. The one, the 40,000 kids that have just been disappeared. You know, I've been talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, you know, I'm talking about child yeah, organ donoring. to get a rise out of you. That's, that's his job. You know, because Jonathan uses small words and, you know, he's trying really hard to get a rise out of okay. you. Okay, so. well, let's move on to, to something else. I, I think we've made our point on this one. Um, I, I need to, to kind of 
go go a little further out. Let's 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 drop to thirty thousand foot. Um, the UN and USAID and the U.S. State Department hate you. That that's where I'm gonna go. Um, so I've got this this piece from Reclaim the Net. <clears throat> Doublespeak. The State Department warns about online censorship, and then threatens to hold platforms accountable. Pretending to uphold freedom of expression while pursuing and pushing for, for censorship abroad. Okay, so in a startling display of doublespeak at the Summit for Democracy 2023, United States Secretary of State Anthony Blinken warned about more countries using the internet to try to control speech. And then he claimed that the Biden administration is trying to promote an open internet before threatening to hold platforms accountable for so-called harms. Blinken raised the alarm about the internet growing more closed, more insecure, and more siloed by the day. He continued by stating more countries are putting up firewalls and shutting down access, using the internet to control speech, quash dissent, spread misinformation, and disinformation. So the Secretary of State followed up by claiming that the Declaration for the Future of the Internet, a 60-country commitment bolstering resilience to disinformation and misinformation, reaffirms the U.S. commitment to an open, net, open network of networks that respects the democratic principles and human rights. After lambasting other countries for closing off the Internet and positioning the Biden administration as a paragon of openness, Blinken pivoted and said, we have to do better at addressing some of the risks that come with an open Internet. Then he proposed a delicate balance between openness and security, protecting speech and preventing incitement and fostering innovation and limiting the big power of big tech. Not content with suggesting a balance between protecting speech and censoring speech that the Biden administration deems incitement, Blinken then threatened the consequences for platforms that don't fall in line. The president's made clear that we need to be able to hold platforms accountable when they fail to address the harms caused by their technology, from the content they spread to the algorithms that they use. But everyone in this room knows, and colleagues who are joining us online know, that the internet is also growing more closed, more insecure, more siloed by the day. More countries are putting up firewalls and shutting down access, using the internet to try to control speech, quash dissent, spread misinformation, and disinformation. Okay, so that was Anthony Blinken. Okay. And I just want you to know that the strategy for MDM or misinformation, disinformation, malinformation is uh, pretty much the same, but they have been stopped in their tracks domestically through new legislation passed through and by the Weaponization Committee. It is illegal in this country to censor the free speech of Americans. So what they have done is they have enlisted up to 80 countries to parse this MDM agenda, okay? Which is, it, it is actually just a pro proxy. It's kind of like a rip and read of uh, World Econo Economic Forum policy. So 60 countries, this is also Reclaim the Net by Tom Parker. 60 countries signed a declaration that commits to bolstering resilience to disinformation and misinformation. Pro-censorship governments unite. So the United States and 60 partner countries, including the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, there are five eyes, 
Uh, and members of the European Union have signed a sweeping declaration for the future of the internet, which commits to bolstering resilience to disinformation and misinformation, and somehow upholding free speech rights while also censoring harmful content. So the White House framed the declaration as something that supports freedom and privacy by focusing on its commitments to protect human rights, the free flow of information, and privacy. Seems like a good deal. But the EU put out similar talking points and claimed that those who signed the declaration support a future internet that's open, free, global, interoperable, reliable, and secure. However, the commitments in the declaration are vague and often conflicting. For example, the declaration makes makes multiple commitments to upholding the freedom of expression, yet also commits to bolstering resilience to disinformation and misinformation. It also contains the seemingly contradictory commitment of ensuring the right to freedom of expression is protected when governments and platforms censor content they deem to be harmful. Now, this was back, what what was the date of this publishing? April 29th of 2022. This is before the Twitter files outed that the hidden hand of censorship on the platforms was actually the U.S. federal government. This is confirmed up and down and sideways. So we also got um, Freedom of the Found- Foundation for Freedom Online. This is Mike Benz, who finally, you know, forth this over. You know, I'm, I've been bugging him for weeks to get on this program and, and help us out with an interview. Uh, and it's, it's still open. I'm still going to bug him. But this is U.S. tax dollars funding text message censorship in Brazil. And this is July 24th of 2022. So the summary is Brazil's election court... You know, and there's a lot of EIP in here. Um, Brazil's election court announced it may nullify election winners who spread online misinformation. Glenn Greenwald did a huge thing on the courts being the heavy hand of censorship and misinformation earlier this year. Uh, Hundreds of censorship professionals have been hired to read and text message chats in Telegram and WhatsApp for misinformation to report apps to ban Personal, interpersonal communication. Financing for censorship of Brazilian citizens' text messages is coming from USAID. Okay? The State Department and the National Endowment for Democracy. Okay. So, herein lies the rub. You cannot do this inside this country, but we are spending money through USAID, Samantha Power's office, the State Department, which is Blinken's office, and then this other tree of DNI uh, disinformation enforcement. Okay, this is not the way that the domestic Americans want things done, but this is what it does. They've got these 80, up to 80, partner countries who are going to outsource censorship in India, in China, in Russia, in Eastern Bloc countries, okay? They're going to thread through and through the Five Eyes relations. And then they're going to try to thread censorship of Americans through those countries. So Brazil is just one. Okay, so this is, we are a state sponsor. We are using our tax dollars to sponsor censorship globally through USAID. And this is not okay. This is not how I want my tax. Oh, God. Okay. I have to call. Hang on.
Hey, Gregor. Ah, uh, there she is. Thanks, thanks for holding it down. So what I was trying to say was that USAID does not have the consent of the American people to spend our money on global censorship of other nations. And I hope they lose their funding immediately. So that's I, I needed to say that because we have done things that are horrific, anti-American, un-American, illegal in this country. But we are farming out an agenda that no American should agree with. Well, so, and I'm afraid there's the question, though. What does America mean anymore? Um, 25, 30 years ago, I would have said that, yeah, the people, that's what they want. They want the, the ability to be free. But now, is that the case? Playing devil's advocate here. But. Well, I mean, whatever America means, we have a legal entitlement to free speech in this country, and they are misrepresenting the domestic agenda, the national interest of America, by parsing censorship abroad. Yeah, um, I think glad one of them, and um, I am, you know, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, and the challenge here is, is that a people don't care or notice, um, you know, this whole disinformation, misinformation. Today's disinformation is, is next year's proof. Uh, we've seen that over the last three years where everything they said was disinformation has turned out to be essentially true. Um, and therein lies the challenge, is that they keep deciding what's true. Again, we come back to what is actual proof, actual fact, versus what is perceived. And well, it's not just like MDM. It's also things for like a national uh, ID program. You know, under biometricupdate.com, there's a page that's included in the links here. If you just push to the left here, um, it should be in there. Mike Ben's on Twitter, U.S. tax dollars funding text messaging, biometrics and digital identity. So this page shows you just a, a cascade. Zimbabwe, um, India, Uganda, Nigeria... And it's, it's led, World Economic Forum panel pushes for blockchain-based decentralized digital ID. Um, and then there's Cameroon. Cameroon has gotten a biometric ID program. I'm thinking, okay, without USAID, they would not be able to do this. So it's the UN, USAID. If it's not China, it's us. So we're doing this. The UN uses our money, U.S. tax money, to carry forward a, a some sort of uh, controlling agenda on Africa, as another sovereign nation, which we never agree to. They never, they never bring this up before the American people and say, hey, would you like, would you like to sponsor, uh, you know, knocking over the Guatemalan government and, you know, would you like to... Would you like to manufacture or become a factory for Banana Republics internationally? No, they never say that. Okay, because everything gets put in a classified box. And then we're cut out of the process. They just spend our money and do it in our name. And, again, that boils down to whom we elect. Um, you know, we keep electing these idiots that think that this is a good idea. It, it's Congress's job to stop this. And, yeah. We can't seem to elect anybody competent. 
Well, I think that we definitely made a wrong turn at Team Biden. Because Biden is just rip and read World Economic Forum. And that's there's no way that at... He just did that from the top down. And that, that doesn't represent uh, American interest. So I'm going to move on. Uh, go ahead, Gregor. So um, I, I started in with biometrics. Um, so like I said, Cameroon introduces legislation to allow biometric visas and residence permits. You know, I'm thinking Cameroon should probably focus on, you know, internal plumbing and, and, and fresh water and, and things like that. You know, maybe getting a stronger electric grid. But no, biometric IDs and visas, which doesn't make any sense. So there's a huge push. Um to get more biometrics in airports. Airports in four countries deploy biometrics, digitized to streamline operations. Uh, Biometric projects in the US, Vietnam, Kazakhstan, and India are pushing the boundaries of digital ID verification and authentication. The US Transportation Security Administration is expected to launch a new application for its pre-check program and ID verifier Fire Clear. So, Clear is one of the two companies being added to pre-check enrollment. Idemia is the other. A Clear spokesman noted that its software and hardware still have to be meeting TSA excuse me TSA requirements and complete a trial period. Um, Once completed, Clear subscribers will be able to enroll and pre-check at designated Clear terminals. Um... And PreCheck has over 14 million members at the moment, so people are opting in for it because they're just they're just tired of being held up at the airport. And, well, and as a small country, how do you avoid you know taking those millions of dollars that it's going to take to do this? Six out of ten uh, Cameroonians have power. Um, now, power is not the end all. Uh, yeah, but they'll never be able to afford, you know, it, it's, uh, electricity is just something that makes modern convenience happy, you know, makes us, makes it easier for us. It does, it does some things for us. Um, but does the government need to spend money on that is my question as the local libertarian. And that's actually something flyover man talks about, right? Everything. Hmm. It, but, um, and I don't disagree with that. And I am, sure there's a lot of Cameroonians who are not on the grid who probably have some sort of electrical power that nobody knows about. Um, and that's fine, that's great, but you know, according to official statistics, 40% of the country is power, it was without power, and that affects their health care, that affects the way they produce and, and cook food. When you don't have power, you don't have refrigeration, you are literally eating canned milk, you're not being able to do anything constructive to store food. right and and if Except you know this is being shoved down your throat uh you know it's being shoved down our throat giving up biometrics at u.s airports soon won't be optional transport security chief says so the tsa is continuing to expand its digital id scheme according to testimony by administrator david pikoski during a congressional budget hearing pikoski said that the agent agency will continue to offer travelers the option to verify their identities using digital copies of their IDs stored on their smartphones at various trial locations all over the country, FedScoop reported. Currently, people can... Currently, people can pass TSA checkpoints with digital IDs at 19 airport... 19 airports only. So, in June, 
Luis Munoz Marin Airport International will join this scheme, followed by Nashville International Airport in August. Participating states include Utah, Arizona, Maryland, and Colorado. The other thing we're working on with respect to identity verification is that right now we've worked with Apple, Google, and Samsung. So state DMVs have the ability, if they choose to allow... See, this seems optional. I don't think it will be. So... Let's go to that Pekoski statement. It says that the agency is considering biometric technologies to reduce traveler processing times. So it's, it's so it will be speedier. Okay. And um, to make comments by the South, by Southwest Conference, which focused on aviation security. He noted that TSA's role in maintaining security in the transportation system is staying ahead of threats. But for those reasons, it can be critically important that this system has little friction as it possibly can while we provide safety and security. So why is it not going to be optional? So TSA has been relying on biometric tech in the identity verification process, according to the agency. The newest technology it has been using is, you know, quote unquote, 99% effective. Yes, it will get you and does not have problems identifying darker skinned people like old technology. We're upgrading our camera systems all the time. And see, this is what, uh, okay. When I, I think about the coded bias, um, documentary, you know, there is an outcry for it to accurately identify black people, darker people. And I, I would, I would argue that biometrics is, is minority report. It shouldn't be used to identify anyone. It should be banned outright. Evan Greer and the people of, you know, fight for the future, totally on the ideological spectrum on most issues. But we agree on this civil liberties idea right now. FRT should be banned internationally because it is just as dangerous as as weaponized chat GPT or anything else. Gregor. Well, yeah. Um, having us tracking all of our emotions, tracking everything we do is a great way to control it. And I finished a book a couple of weeks ago called Psychology of Totalitarianism. And his point on that story was based on the 20, what was based on the COVID-19, but the tools that he identified were being used by totalitarian regimes throughout history, especially in the 20th century. And the ability to control or to monitor where people go and to influence what they see and think cannot be underestimated. Germany in 1928 was the highest educated, most civilized state in, in Europe. And yet they turned around into a barbarity in just a few years. And this is, you know, this part of the case study he uses is the psychology used for uh, the Nazi or uh, the Nazi party in bringing Germany along to the point where they killed six million people for because they were Jewish. And that's it. Um, and identification is just one of the steps. Uh, you know, people don't realize that the death camps used IBM computers and software developed by IBM to keep track of what they were doing. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a terrible. That much information is is not important for our government. It does not keep us safer. It only enslaves. 
Okay. Um, Gregor, I'm going to, I'm going to hand it off to you. Do you have the, um, Biden eyes AI dangers? Because that is the underreported piece of the week. Um, I'm going to hand you the AI segment. If you can just, um, if you have it there. Reuters. Okay. Start, start with Reuters. And then, and then, um, we'll, we'll go to Italy's prime minister after that. Just is. All right, I'm going to skip on to the uh, Italy thing because apparently there's no article there. Um, Italy's prime minister, GPT, Italy's deputy prime minister, criticizes ChatGPT block. Is that what you were talking about? Um, this was in. Reclaim the net. Italy's deputy prime minister criticized this chat GPT block. If you're tiring of censorship, cancel culture, and the erosion of privacy and civil liberties, subscribe to Canada. Italy's deputy prime minister, Matteo Salvini, described the country's data protection authority's decision to temporarily ban chat GPT, chatbot chat GPT, as excessive. The data regulatory ban the chatbot over privacy concerns and its refusal to verify that users were above the age of 13. I find the decision of privacy watchdog to court chat GBT to prevent access from Italy's disproportionate, Salvino wrote in Instagram. He added that the regulator's decision was, quote, hypocritical and that it indicated supply common sense because privacy issues concern practically all online services, end quote. Salvini added that the ban would affect national innovation. Every technological revolution begins that uh, brings away training, risks, and opportunities. It is a right to control and regulate through the international cooperation between regulators and legislatures, but it cannot be blocked, he said. That GPT's developer, the Microsoft-backed OpenAI, said that it would work with Data Protection Authority to resolve the issue. We look forward to working closely with the, with the Italian data agency and educating them on how our systems are built and used, the developer said. So there is the there is why Italy wants to block ChatGPT. At least, definitely, Prime Minister was criticizing it because you can't block technology. Um, Right. And you know, part a part of me is I really don't disagree that we can't uninvent AI. AI (laughs) It's true. (laughs) um, You know, and we have to figure out how to deal with it now. Uh, one of the other uh, articles that we're talking about relate to this, or at least the tweets, uh, was by uh, Aaron, uh, Christine Ruby. Um, she was talking about how uh, Twitter has been, you know, hunting down Chinese in their in their uh, logic. She prints some of the code. It indicates that they're searching for Chinese mentions and stuff in order to reduce their uh, 
their showings. Right. So, so let me get in there. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, a lot of this code was just being throttled at these these platforms. You can see by the quick way that they adopted the regime to control speech, misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, that they probably just use the algorithms that were provided by the Chinese government. They're like, here, we know how to do it. We do it with our citizens. Just take it and run with it. And it wasn't really regulated. No, There wasn't any kind of vote or anything on it. I, I think that's what happened. And they adopted the code full sale. And it had Tencent you know, insurance in there that if anything was said against China, that it would just be ripped right out. Well, and then we wonder why we can't get anything done. Um, because, you know, Bruce is strong. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I tried to tell that to, to Kristen this week, and she finally got some pickup. She, she thought it was better to get enforcement from the platform than from the government, but she was encouraged all throughout to go to security leadership in, in our nation to, to say something to these platforms about what was being done with China's, China's code. Um, and I want to come back to that, but I, I just need to mention that for chat GPT creator OpenAI, Italy has a ban that may just be the start of trouble in Europe. I'm going to read uh, just, just a ticker headline here. OpenAI's Sam Altman loves Italy, but the affection may not be mutual, at least when it comes to OpenAI's flagship product, ChatGPT. Um, he loves to travel to Italy, but his company's, uh, it, it ha- has just been banned there, and it could spell trouble for the company and the rest of Europe, too. Some legal scholars think that generative AI models could struggle to comply with EU data privacy laws. So this is not a problem that's going to go away. So I'm going to read, read this uh, ticker from Reclaim the Net. This is from Cindy Harper. Italy's deputy prime minister criticizes the chat GPT block. Uh, the tool was blocked by regulators. So Italy's deputy prime minister, Matteo Salvini, described the country's data protection authority's decision to temporarily ban chatbot, chat GPT as excessive. The data regulator banned the chatbot over privacy concerns and its refusal to verify that users were above the age of 13. I find the decision of the privacy watchdog that forced uh, chat GPT to prevent access from Italy's disproportionate, Salvini wrote on Instagram. He added that the regulator's decision was hypocritical, that it needed to apply common sense because privacy issues concern practically all online services. Salvini added that the ban could affect national innovation. Every technological revolution brings great changes, risks, and opportunities. It is right to control and regulate through an international cooperation eh, between regulators and legislators, but it cannot be blocked. I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was blocked. So it, apparently governments do have the right to, to sanction a technology and say no to it. I, I know that we're working on one for, for China with TikTok. But there's other other problems because China has a, a holistic ecosystem that is completely invasive. Anything you give them, they are going to try to take. So that brings me to the next item here on CNN Business. I've never seen anything like this. One of China's most popular apps, Pin Duo Duo, uh, has the ability to spy on its users, say experts. So this is the other TikTok. 
And I, I have a feeling that they're all like this. CNN. Nectar Gan. Monday, April 3rd. It says, one of China's most popular shopping apps, selling clothing, groceries, and just about everything else under the sun to more than 750 million users a month. But according to cybersecurity researchers, it can also bypass users' cell phone security to monitor their activities on other apps, check notifications, and read their private messages and change settings. And once installed, it's tough to remove... So it's sticky. While many other apps collect vast troves of user data, sometimes without explicit consent, experts say e-commerce giant Pinduoduo has taken over violations of privacy and data security to the next level. In a detailed investigation, CNN spoke to a half dozen cybersecurity teams from Asia, Europe, and the United States, as well as multiple former and current Pinduoduo employees after receiving a tip-off. Multiple experts identified the presence of malware on the app that exploited vulnerabilities in the Android operating systems. Companies insiders say that the exploits were utilized to spy on users and competitors, allegedly to boost sales. So there you have it. Whatever you give them, they will use to spy. That's China. So it's not spy, Bila. <laughs> according, to, according to Order 84 by Xi Jinping in 2021, it was, it was signed on June 10th, the um, Chinese Digital Security uh, Enforcement Act, Order 84, was in order to ensure China's security. Now, that includes anything processed by anything that they either programmed or built, meaning a chip, has to be scrutinized. So therefore, yes, everything you do on TikTok or anything else is going through China. It's by law. It has to. It's not yeah. a conspiracy. It's out in the open. Yeah, I mean, and, and people act like this doesn't exist. It does. So I'm going to take Vladi's call really quickly. Um, guys, thank you for sticking with this. I know it's, I know it's been a long set. Uh, we've, we've editorialized a lot. But I really appreciate you you uh, coming coming with us on this journey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-invite all of our... Friends and followers to come be with us uh, so that we can add to the talk programming here on Colin, which we air every Saturday at 2 p.m. faithfully with our co-host, Gregor Hinckley. So that wraps the talk portion of this episode of The Unsanctioned Citizen. Please join us again at 2 p.m. every Saturday around that time to listen to more news and views uh, concerning things that sanction Americans, etc. So thank you for listening. Invite more people to subscribe via Substack, Podomatic, and RSS.com, as well as joining the callin.com app. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast archives at Substack, Podomatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Callin. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.